American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see your glory flying. There's a lot of men dead, so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes. This is episode 27. It's November 13th, baby. Anthony and I got another great lineup of stories and an interview for you dudes this week. But for our first topic, last Sunday, Texas A&M parted ways with their head coach, Jimbo Fisher, in a historic eye out worth $77 million. He's the number one stunner. <laughs> and for our second topic, Aaron Rodgers is supposedly coming back from a season-ending injury. Some say it's scripted, and it looks like they're fumbling to get it together. And for our final topic this week, Russian scientist injects himself with a three and a half million year old bacteria and says he finds the fountain of youth. And my man says he's feeling great. Yeah, that's what he says. And stick around for the second half of our show as Cameron and I sit down with our dude, shaman and healer, Ray Christ. Yeah, dudes, it was a great conversation. But before we throw this batch in the oven, Anthony, hit him with that great intro track, my dude. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show, where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you. So sit back, grab a donut, and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. Dudes, for our first topic this week, it's one that uh, Anthony and I are a little bittersweet for Anthony and I because um, it hits right at home for us for being Texas A&M alumni. But the reason why we're releasing this episode a day late is because Anthony and I recorded our original topic one on Friday last week. And that original topic was Jimbo Fisher being on the hot seat. ESPN put out an article last week that was basically stating that he was the number one coach in the hot seat. And boy, were they right. Because not only was he on the hot seat, last week on Thursday, Texas A&M's Board of Regents met and decided before the Mississippi State game that they were going to let Jimbo Fisher go the following Sunday. This is a historical let go in sports period, because there has never been a buyout this large. And as a matter of fact, the, the closest that comes to this $77 million buyout for Jimbo Fisher was Gus Malzahn, who coached the Auburn Tigers about a decade ago. His buyout was a little, little north of $20 million. So this is over three times as much 
as the original record setting buyout. So here we are. Texas A&M is without a head coach. A lot of Aggie fans have been asking and calling for this for a very long time. Be careful what you wish for because here we are. And blisters on your ass cheeks, bro. <laughs> I mean, they knew. They knew something was up. I, I find it interesting that at halftime at the Mississippi State game, you got, oh, Bjork with the check of $162 million or whatever. What was it? It was $160-something million, yeah. Like, just to show. That's trash, bro. Let's be <laughs> real. That's, that's, I know a lot of trash in this town, bro. And that's, I mean, hey, man. That is, hey, dude. So for you dudes that don't know, if you haven't seen it on social media, Ross Bjork, the athletic director, came out on halftime and, and showed the amount of money that's been donated to Texas A&M Athletics. Um, I forget what the time period was, but it was basically enough money to show that we can buy you out, Jimbo. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, how classy, right? Yeah, dude. Not only that, I mean... At some point, when are those people going to be held accountable? Now, don't take, don't take this the wrong way. I ain't hating on Bjork or the board or any of those folks. I don't need any of this Gestapo stuff at my crib or getting pulled over on my way home. You know, I don't need any of that. But to be honest with you, those guys are making the hires. Those guys are wasting the money. He's smart with the money. I don't, I don't get it. A&M has to become an institution with more financial prudence than what they've showed over the past 10 to 15 years. And I mean, this has been a, an ongoing streak for Texas A&M in the way that they've hired coaches. I mean, you can go as far back to Dennis Franchoni and how big of a flop he was. He was somebody, I don't know if you remember this, Anthony, but remember you remember the shirts back in the early 2000s? This would have been when you were in school. There was these shirts that were that said "Turn the Tide." Mm -hmm. Those were made because we hired Dennis Franchoni away from Alabama. Right. We upped his salary, I think, by like two or three hundred grand, and he came to Texas A&M. We were so stoked he was going to be the, you know, he was going to be the savior of the program, right? This is, um, and he was just the biggest flop uh, that we had had in the longest time. I think he had given us our first losing season in uh, like over 30 years, something crazy like that. And then we go and hire Super Bowl winning Mike Sherman, right? I mean, then you look at that, like that's a high profile win. And you get rid of somebody that, you know, you were so invested in that was leading the tide back from a losing record. And um, and then we go and drop him like it's hot. Yeah, you fire him while he's in the driveway doing a recruiting visit. Oh, I didn't know I that. Remember that? Yeah, he was in the driveway visiting a recruit. Gets the call that he's no longer the guy, but still goes and does the visit on Anna's behalf, and then rolls out. See that—that's one. In retrospect, we definitely should have given Mike Sherman some more time, because look at the next year that happened. I mean, he's the one that recruited that 2012 class, right? Right. And that's why Kevin Sumlin and his whole entire team, maybe they had the right package to come in, the right offense to make those players successful. I mean, look at this this year's team and how unsuccessful they are, but how talented they are. Maybe just being in the wrong schemes, right? I don't know that. But I think if Mike Sherman would have stuck around a little bit longer, maybe he would have been a little bit more successful. We have very high expectations for a program that, you know, honestly... 
I don't know. We haven't done much, man. Right. You know? <laughs> Since leather helmets, bro. I mean, <laughs> really. One other thing to look at. I, I know you sent this or I saw you post it, but I also saw a lot of, it was going around on the internet, but, you know, two of the 11 most expensive buyouts are from A&M. Manage stuff correctly. Michigan is being is going to be known for, you know, their sign stealing and, and all that. And we're going to be known for just throwing money at mediocrity, man. And, yeah. <laughs> and A&M is trying to get there. And, and you know, I, I can appreciate throwing resources at things and doing whatever it's going to take to be successful. But damn it, at this point, you've thrown almost, I think we, we covered this a few weeks back, A&M has thrown almost a billion dollars at their athletic program. And I'm sure we could probably say the majority of that is towards football, right? Oh, yeah. Facilities. I mean, coaching. I mean, you look at all, I mean, not just Jimbo Fisher's contract. I mean, you, you all of our coordinators are making north of a million dollars. And that's, I mean, the SEC, that's definitely something that is, definitely something that's prominent, but just it's atrocious. So the way that this is going to work out with Jimbo Fisher is that within the first 60 days, A&M has to relinquish a little bit, nor, little bit more than $20 million to Jimbo Fisher. The rest of that $77 million will be paid out over the rest of his contract, which is eight years. So Jimbo Fisher for the next eight years is going to be living large off of Texas A&M. I think I, I don't know where I saw it. Did you send that to me? I think I saw he'll be making, uh, like northwards of $26,000 a day. Yeah. Man, all you, all I need is <laughs> all I need is to be Jimbo Fisher, man, 5 to 7 days a year. <laughs> you know, and I'll be happy, man. <laughs> Jeez. Gosh. You know, for me, if you go back and look at Jimbo's career, we were so excited to have this dude come in, right? Kind of goes along with every single thing you know, I mentioned about Dennis Franchoni and Mike Sherman. I, I honestly, I mean, it's easy for me to say this now. I was skeptical, man. I, I really, from the beginning, thought that Jimbo Fisher was just the, the, the guy that rode on the curtails of Jameis Winston, man, and off Bobby Bowden and Nick Saban. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator under Bobby Bowden and under Nick Saban, right? And then he was able to take over as head coach um, after Bob, Bobby Bowden left. And so he was walking into a very auspicious situation and had a very good quarterback. And that's, that's why he's a national winning, national championship winning coach. You remember when he got hired here and they made him that fake trophy? The plaque? Or whatever it was. He yes. accomplished none of those things. It's crazy. No 10 wins. No, to whatever top something finish. I mean nothing. Yeah, I, I, losing record in SEC play. You lost the last nine road games. I, I think the move is valid, right? But now, what do we do now, man? So, what do we have on the market today, as far as his replacement? Right. I think we we've done enough on the Jimbo bashing, and I think Anthony and I needed to have that moment as therapy right. to be able to, you know, move forward. And and now that we've had that, what's next for Texas A&M, man? I mean, what do you do after you give somebody $77 million to leave 
what is the next logical step for their program? It's one of two things, right? You either go and you buy a whale, right? You go and just buy out whoever you, you take the same mantra, but you just like, okay, we're, we're this heavily invested. Let's go and get an Urban Meyer. Let's go and get somebody, you know, somebody that is just an untouchable and let's just make them come because, and that sounds. <laughs> Damn Bjork. Come on. Bjork. Ross Bjork, just make them come. Come on Bjork. What you gotta do? <laughs> or do you do you find somebody that's hungry that wants to be here, that is just a damn good coach, and if you just give them a little bit more talent, they ain't gonna get Dan Campbell. No, and because he's got it, he's got a great job what he's doing right now. Why would he want to come and then be this? He knows this fan base, bro. Like you, this would be the worst job in college football. Agreed. Right up, one of it can pay the best, but you you don't want to put up with all that. Yeah, well, you know, so just like you said, Dan Campbell, former Letterman for Texas A and M, he's the head coach at uh, for the Lions. He's at one of those top top of the list candidates that have been floating around social media and names that would be very good to have on the sideline for Texas A and M right now, but. I think he's de- like you said. I think he's definitely one of those untouchables. That no matter what, he. I mean, that's he's doing really well in the NFL. Why the heck would you leave? I mean, unless you just absolutely love your alma mater. Yeah, there's no way you're coming back. Another one that's on that list is Dan Lanning, the head coach at at Oregon. That's kind of my pick. Like I felt like he's not necessarily an untouchable. I feel like you know with the right contract you probably could finagle that but he actually did come out and say in a press conference that I'm not going anywhere Oregon is where I'm where it's at and and you know but we've heard that before and, and people up and leave oh yeah you know look at look at Lincoln Riley mm-hmm. look what he did he said we're not going anywhere a week later he's in Los Angeles so right there's a couple other names on this list dudes too as well there's Mike Norvell from Florida State there's uh the head coach from Washington. And there's also Mike Elko, who's kind of an interesting one. I don't know that I get behind the Elko one just because I he hasn't really shown much of anything at Duke as far as a head coach. I mean, he was a great defensive coordinator when he was here and when he was at Notre Dame. So I don't know that I'm convinced that Elko is the right hire right now. So there's two. Would you think, uh, what do you think of Cliff Kingsbury coming back. You think he could do something? With this talent base? Yeah. Look at the wide receivers. I think we saw a different dynamic with Henderson. I think that if he can calm down and and dial in that long pass a little bit better, man, he's your quarterback. I mean, the way that he he can run, he he moves defenses. I mean, I think that you figured out something with – a very anemic offensive line. And I think it, you come and bring you bring somebody like him back. But then again, you have the, I think you may have that same issue where he's a dang good offensive coordinator, but I don't know as a head coach that he's really proven to be that guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of flopped at Texas Tech. He flopped at, you know, with the Cardinals and the NFL. But I tell you who I do really like outside of Dan Lanning, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate 
from a lot of Aggies on this, but I love Lane Kiffin, man. Huh. You know, I, I, I think he does more with less at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is not a talent-deprived school by any means. I mean, they've got good talent, but they don't have the talent that Texas A&M has. You come put him here, and we're kind of, I mean, the, the, you look at the people that are, or the way that they are run, we're kind of the same team as far as personnel goes. They have a really good wide receiving core on defense. Their their front seven is as good as ours. Like they're good in the same spots that we are. You come and bring that here, and I'm sure some of those players would probably transfer over with him, you know? So you bring that, man, I think that that would be a solid, I think that's an upgrade. Mm. I think he's put his, I think he's just talked too much trash about yeah. AM to ever come. Yeah. I but I think, think that's, I think that was more geared towards Jimbo though. You know, was it more geared towards Jimbo so. or, or the university? Yeah, I guess so. Sorry. No, no, no. You're right. I mean, it could be. I- but dudes, what do you guys think about this? You may not be an Aggie fan, but I know that you've definitely caught wind of what's going on with Jimbo Fisher. We'd love to hear your side of the story. Who do you think the next coach at A&M should be? And, or is there any part of this that, that we're missing that is actually, you know, a really good point to, to add to the conversation. So join the conversation by following the link in our show notes, or you can email us info at donutswithdudes.com. few weeks back, we covered Aaron Rodgers and him tearing his Achilles tendon on the fourth play playing for the New York Jets. Man, it's it just like, golly, you, you go out and you get one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, at least still playing. It probably is the greatest quarterback maybe still playing that if you take their career into perspective here, right? Maybe not at this point in time in his career, but Anyways, the 39-year-old did tear his Achilles tendon. Here we are in week 10 of college football, and the Jets are saying that Aaron Rodgers may be making a comeback. This is never really... I, I try to find where people have come back from an Achilles tendon tear and have come back in the same season. I haven't found one yet. And I know we got all kinds of stem cell therapies or whatever it may be these days that maybe he's got access to some therapy that has helped rejuvenate the Achilles tendon, reattach his calf muscle, right? And I mean, not having your calf muscle, you guys can imagine how hard it is to run, but um, they're saying he's coming back, man. I don't know if you saw the play, man. Did you ever watch the clip of him getting injured? It was a little suspicious, a little curious, bro. It didn't look like anything really happened there. So then he's out for the season right after four plays. I felt it because he was my starting quarterback for my fantasy team. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, God dang, bro. So I had to put in, uh, guess what? Crazy. I had to put in Kirk Cousins. Oh, okay. And well, guess what happened to Kirk Cousins? Oh, that's right. Same injury, bro. <laughs> so this is silly. I, I don't. I, I really don't know what's going on, but. Hey, if, you, if you're ever on Anthony's team, there's probably some bad juju coming your way. But anyway. <laughs> well, hey, I've got a C.D. Lamb, and that boy's tearing it up right now. So. There you go. So, hey. But anyhow. Hey, C.D. Lamb comes up hurt. Uh, we're going to have a talk, bro. Knock on some wood around here. 
Got it. Got it. All right. This comes in, you know, I guess the wake of, of what he went through last season. You know, he was having some issues with Packers and ended up doing his uh, his retreat, personal retreat where he wanted to, you know, find himself. And you know, I guess he had some demons he was battling. I really don't know exactly a, a whole lot of his story on that. But, you know, he did go um, – and do the whole shaman thing. So, you know, that also will parlay into later's. Yeah. To, to later, but um, without giving that away, but. Man. Supposedly tried some ayahuasca. Right. So I believe what the real conspiracy here is that there's two different things. There's one that they're saying um, maybe this ritual or whatever he went to go do is kind of helping him rebound from this quicker. Or there's the conspiracy that he never really was hurt and that this is a ploy to say that the shamanism worked over modern. Absolutely. You're in good company when it comes to that second theory. As a matter of fact, on the Dan uh, Liebetard show, which is hosted on ESPN, they were actually talking about that whole entire theory. Listen to what they had to say about it. Is it crazy to wonder if he never actually tore his Achilles? Not at all. No. no. Like, what if Not he just, because is a doctor going to come out and say he's a liar? I mean, <laughs> the there is benefit occurred. on a war on medicine. There's benefit here and say, you know what? That, that is a strange theory. We need to know. We saw it no. snap. It looked no. like, I mean, I've seen yeah. shot in no. movies no. that don't actually no. get shot. You don't know. No, no. I wear a prosthetic thing. So you guys. You know, I don't know what's real on the internet anymore. Yeah. I don't know what's real. What if? No, I just, we're just asking. I'm not even saying I believe CGI. that. I'm just. I'm, re- I'm ready. It's a fair be, question. I wish I was wearing some sort of costume. I'd be willing to seriously put out the conspiracy theory. Mankind's available if you wanted. Better than the theory that Taylor Swift and uh, Travis Kelsey is a propaganda concoction by the NFL to drive rating. To throw out the conspiracy theory that Aaron Rodgers, since he went into the darkness retreat, all he found in the darkness is I must come back hell bent on beating science. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> I, I just, and so what? Well, before we get into this, I'd like to give a shout out to me and you for our show because nothing. It's under my skin more than whenever I'm listening to a podcast or a show and you've got 15 people talking over each other. Oh, I know. I can't stand that. So you know what, man? A round of applause for me and you, dude, because (laughs) we just kind of like, you know, I'm going to let you finish before I jump into it. I I hate that. Like when I'm hearing 15 voices at the same time and I'm like, who's supposed to talk and who's getting... I hate that, man. Who even was that, right? (laughs) Who was even talking? You're absolutely right, man. It's like... uh. Snoop Dogg, I want to thank me for being me. <laughs> well, yeah, who can who can even really say that he did hurt his ankle? Right. Most of the time, these doctors are just in the back pockets, and they're just like, "Well, hey, man, we need we need homie to be we need homie to be hurt." Right. <laughs> you know. And I and I might almost second that whole Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey thing too, because they do need ratings, right? That's how you're gonna get the women. It's hilarious. When all of this was going on at the beginning, you know, Tatum and I were watching things. She's like, oh, who, you know, now you got him all over their news, right? You got Kelsey all over the women's news, whereas we had Taylor Swift popping up into everything. So, So, NFL, what is you doing? (laughs) They're trying to get them ratings up. God, Trying to get some women uh, in the fan base, which, hey, man, if it works, shout out to 
the NFL, bro, if, if you can bring uh, husbands and wives together to watch some football because they might see some celebrities. This is the corporate equivalent of the flop right here, bro. Very. You know, but hey, you know what? Business is business and you got to do what you got to do, man. But dudes, what do you guys think about this? Do you think uh, Aaron Rodgers is in a, some type of ploy or some type of conspiracy? Like, you know, hey, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to get ratings to the NFL. And do you think that his torn Achilles tendon, there's maybe a little, little extra behind it that maybe it's not all at face value? Hit us in our show notes. Let us know what you think or email us info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, for our final topic this week, this is not something that happened here recently. It's just actually something that Anthony and I stumbled across, and we were like, man, we got to bring this to you guys' attention. But back in 2009... A Russian scientist named Dr. Anatoly, I'm going to mess this all up, Brushkov, and we know we got the cov right there, right? Anyways, he found a three and a half million year old bacteria in the ice of the, of the Siberian tundra. And uh, he went on and actually did some studies with this bacteria and found that this bacteria actually had been alive for millennia now, right? And so he decided to do an experiment on some mice and he actually decided to do what any other smart scientist would do is he actually decided to inject himself with this bacteria. And ever since then, Dr. Bruskov has reported that he has been flu-free ever since. He's never caught the flu during COVID, he's never caught COVID. And so he's calling this that may quite possibly be the fountain of youth. And um, so Anthony and I kind of dove in and kind of did a little bit of research here. But this bacteria was around and actually died off. The name of the bacteria is called, oh, I might mess this up too, but Bacillus F. It's a, an ancient bacteria that was actually around over about five to 6,000 years ago. Somehow we know that. Mm. But anyways, some people are claiming that this could have possibly been a bacteria that was around during the time of, you know, if you look at stories of like the Bible of like Methuselah, Noah, they lived to be almost 900 plus years old. Medusa. Medusa. No, Methuselah. Sorry. Did I say Medusa? No, you didn't. I just thought of Medusa. (laughs) But there's a story of Methuselah, supposedly the oldest man that ever walked the earth. He lived almost a thousand years old, or he may have lived over a thousand years old. Anyways, this could potentially be something that proves that maybe we actually did live to be centuries old. That's one way to look at it. You know, I think that injecting yourself with some bacteria that is that old, permafrost, I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, of course, if it's been living for three and a half million years, then maybe you'll live for three and a half million years. I mean, is that the logic we were going with here? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's that's what this Russian scientist's logic is too as well. Apparently, it's worked on rats too as well that it's increased their lifespan. But you always got to question stuff that's coming out of Russia too. You know, it's just like the dang, uh, the aliens. What happened with the aliens in Mexico or Peru? Oh, yeah. that? Like that was like 
clickbait and then it just went away and then they're like, oh, that, that guy's. Well, they actually did come out and they did do a second viewing. Uh, actually saw this, I think it was either last week or the week before last. They did a second viewing in front of the Mexican Congress again. I don't know the whole details of all that, but anyways, we're diverting here. But yeah, you, you got to question some of these things that are coming out of these countries like Russia that is probably, you know, they're just wanting something to be relevant. And here they are. I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, I guess there's, like they said, uh, there exists this immortal bacteria and immortal beings, so they cannot die. We'll see. Time will tell, right? I mean, um, it might be a while before we're buying Bacillus F injections at your local CVS or um, Walmart anytime soon. But hey, man, got to admire a guy for saying, YOLO, I'm going to figure this out myself. And he said it's going to go one of two ways. <laughs> it's either not going to work out or I'm going to live forever. Let's, let's roll the dice. Hey, he's still alive. Here he is 14, almost 15 years later. So dude might be onto something. But no. But dudes, go check this out. The 3.5 million year old bacteria and the Russian scientist that injected himself with it. Let us know what you think about it. Hit us in the show notes as usual or email us. At Donuts with Dudes. We'll be back in a minute. But now a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available, so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, in the bakery this week, we've got a very interesting guest, and we've got a topic that Anthony and I have been wanting to cover for a very long time, and that is the world surrounding shamanism and just ancient healing methods and, and, and techniques like that. So today, we invited Ray Christ onto the show with us. He's the founder of the Jaguar Path of Shamanism. Race traveled around the world in search of shamans to help him heal from terminal cancer. His journey brought him from the NIH, the, the National Institute of Health, to the jungles of Peru. He's actually joining us today in Greece. So dudes, help me in welcoming shaman Ray Chris to the show with us. Hey Ray, how's it going, man? Really good. Thank you for having me over. I'm really happy to be here with you guys today. Hey, same here. It's our pleasure. Like we mentioned, we, Anthony and I really like to do our own anecdotal research when it comes to just alternative ways to, to heal yourself and to, um, you know, what, what does the ancient world have to say about how we took care of ourselves and our bodies and our relationship to nature and things like that? So before we dive into all that, would you mind telling us a little bit more about the Jaguar Path, how you started it, and and what people can learn from your training? Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you the short version of a long story over the last uh, close to 20 years now, but 
<clears throat> as you mentioned, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, that, of course, got my attention. I was given three months to live. And of course, that uh, took a toll on it. And I stopped. I paused everything. And I started the search for healing. Uh, I did find myself all the way to John Hopkins and, and the NIH, the National Institute of Health. I didn't did one surgery. Uh, their initial their initial diagnosis was that it didn't look good at all. It would, didn't look like I would make it. Uh, they mentioned it, one of the things I said is like the best thing to do is take care of your affairs. So I'm going to say this and jump into the shamanic realm because this is the way things unfolded. I did do one surgery in the National Institute of Health, and I'm grateful I did that. Uh, I'm a believer in both of Western medicine and Eastern and and, uh, and shamanic medicine. I, I feel they're all complementary. So I did that, and then I ventured down into Peru. And as I went into Peru and started doing healing work with the shamans there, I would return every three months to do post-op CAT scans and MRIs, et cetera. So we all witnessed uh, the other tumors that were in my body and things were happening. The, they began to shrink until it disappeared. And essentially, well, one of the things that the doctors told me like three years post-op versus like, you are doing great, whatever you're doing, keep on doing. Uh, because my living and all that kind of changing and shifting uh, wasn't in their prognosis at all. Uh, so with that said, uh, basically the job where a path is, is the path that I took to find healing. Because uh, I know today that if I had just done the surgery and then went back to my life, to the ordinary life that I had, uh, that life that had led me to cancer, it would have just simply lead me once again back to that. And that's the cases that we see that many times happening. Uh, I changed my life. Going into the jungles, I started working with shamans there and I started looking, learning techniques for healing. I ventured up to the Andes and met the Caro Nations people, whom I still till today work very closely with and have uh, developed relationships that are, I, I have no other word, family. We've become family you know, uh, through the years. The Jaguar Path as a school and what I teach is 18 of the most important tools that I felt helped me regroup as a person uh, heal past traumas, uh, clear out patterns, repetitive patterns that were taking me down the same road all the time, uh, clear out old relationships, and find a way of being, find a way of living life uh, on purpose and with clarity. So again, as I learned all the tools through the years being with him, I started being initiated or was given initiation of the shaman uh, from my teacher, Don Francisco. And soon after, he started pushing me to teach. He kept on insisting that I need everything that I need to learn. He said, you cannot be, this is not for you. While you're learning it, you have to teach others and you have to give it to others. You have to share it. You can't be uh, selfish with its work. And that is essentially where the Jagopath again was born, an understanding that for me too, with uh, coming directly from the Jaguar spirit, I was given that I need to teach this in order to continue to be healthy and to continue to be cancer-free, etc. So I created a nine-month course. We meet one weekend a month. It is a nine-month uh, symbolic and realistic 
uh, gestation period to be actually, in a sense, reborn. And and when I say reborn, I can sound a little funky in you, AJ. Uh, I mean, having taken a deep dive, what we do is we take a deep dive into making the changes we want to change. Uh, while we teach these tools, uh, we begin to use these tools to change, again, as I said, old habits, or if there's trauma that keeps on coming up from childhood that I want to figure out, or if there's uh, a divorce I'm going through, or, or a divorce I went through 10 years ago and I'm still suffering with animosity or a difficult relationship. Or... These tools were applicable 1,000 years ago, and they're applicable today, and they will be applicable in a thousand years from now, because they're they're deeply psychological on one hand, and they're really pragmatic on the other hand. They're like, and that's what I teach. What we what we say what we say is that we teach the mechanisms behind magic. Right. So it's one thing to say we'll use a rattle. That can be a little new agey, a little you know uh, ambiguous. <laughs> But when we go into what the rattle does, what frequencies it has, how it's been made, why, what it symbolizes, and what it does to the brain waves when we start using it, how it can bring our client or ourself into a deeper state of the subconscious, then we begin to understand the mechanism behind the rattle and at the same time also reach into the subconscious where that's where we need to make the changes. Because all of us, or many of us, we come up with these New Year resolutions, but then we, you know, by the second month of the new year, we've forgotten about it and we're back to the old patterns. Because it's one thing to say consciously, hey, I'm going to make these changes. And it's another thing to go behind in the program where the subconscious is running and make the changes there. And those are the only changes that actually happen. Then they're happening to you, almost natural. And changes that stay, they stick because they're. Again, you made the change of the program behind, not in the upfront, what I want, what I'm trying, or what I wish for. Um, so that's the first idea in a nutshell, what the Jaguar path is and where it came from. I love that. You said a lot of things there that we definitely vibe with here at Donuts with Dudes, for sure. Hey, Ray, you said a lot of uh, key words that I noticed, which was kind of reprogramming, talking about subconscious. So... You're telling me that these are really ancient tools that people have known about for what? Millennia. <laughs> you know, that it, and you know, there's proven facts behind these things and it's just crazy. So like how, how can ancient tools still be applied to the modern world now? How do you see yeah, that? I, that? That's a good one. And, and I think it's really good for people to hear because we kind of like, uh, shamanism and, uh, Shamanism is, has that kind of like a label of something that's, I don't know if the word is exotic, but it's mysterious or it's somewhere in some jungles or it's out of stories. Uh, the truth is, though, that shamanism has been around, like you said, it's been around for 40,000 years. And of course, shamanism is an umbrella term. It, it, cover, it covers different, there's different shamanic practices depending on the region and, and the language, et cetera, and the lineages that exist. Um, I'll say this first, like historically, because when I ventured down to Mexico and to Peru to find shamans, I thought I was trying to find something almost extinct and kind of like in the margins and it would be hard to find. Uh, I realized very soon that 
it's by far not extinct. It was extinct in, in Europe and in the United States, of course, because there was the, the, the great persecution during the Dark Ages. Magic, botanology, herbs, uh, all those things were persecuted. You, they would say, you're doing magic and it's evil, so you'd be crucified or you'd be put the, to the pyre. Uh, so to my uh, surprise, eventually I came to understand that in most parts of the world, like Central and South America, Africa, Asia, even in Australia with the Aboriginals, uh, shamanism never stopped existing. And what I mean is, like, and to start clarifying this, the shaman, the word itself, we've chosen in English for this general term, that comes from a Tungusic language from Eastern Russia, and it means the knower. So imagine we go 10,000 years back and you know someone got bit by a snake. There was the medicine man, the shaman, in, or the medicine woman, the shaman that knew what the antidote is, knew what to do. Someone broke their hand. They knew how to create some clay and put it together and tie it with a, uh, with a piece of stick and set the bone. Uh, so shamanism is essentially the medicine man and medicine woman. Their role was physical, but soon enough was also to be the psychotherapist of the, uh, of the village. Uh, there was a difficult labor. The, the role was to become the doula of the village. So anything that had to do with health and balance and connection with life, uh, there was one person in the village, the tribe, that would be the one appointed to to carry this. Um, in the modern world, a really good uh, case scenario and an example is Carl Jung, the great psycho psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, or the father of psychotherapy uh, in many ways. Carl Jung found a lot of the shamanic work in Africa and brought it into his office. There is a there's a really clear understanding that you know, even 10,000 years ago or now, the difference that the only difference is that we've had a technological revolution. So we have our TVs, here we are all in Zoom, we have our iPhones, we have cars, etc. We've had a technological evolution, but not a psychological revolution. We still psychologically have the same emotions, patterns, wants, needs, right? We all we want to have maybe love in our life. We want to have food and safety. We want to have good relationships. We want to have friends, right? And, and if we don't have some of these or some of these are problematic, we get sad or we get depressed or we get anxiety, etc. So as a being, uh, neurologically, we have not changed, not much, the last, let's just say the last 2,000 years. Um there's been the technology uh, that has come up, but again, when it comes to working psychologically or overcoming a problem, um, the tools are still the same. The tools or those tools that work then still work now. And I want to say that, again, I believe in all, everything. I believe in Western medicine, uh, surgery, or if there's an accident, there is nothing like medicine, Western medicine and the modern hospitals. But at the same time, what we're looking at mostly, or what I experienced, was that I was driven to cancer because I lived a, lived a life of anxiety, of stress. Uh, I was a photographer for fashion and advertisement. I worked 90 hours a week, month in, month out, month in, month out, for years. It's just like in the studio with no light, just the big flashes and go, go, go. Um my anxiety was created by the lack of connection with nature. 
the mammal within me wasn't out there playing, wasn't out there getting sun, getting some vitamin D. I wasn't walking or, or enough to get my digestive tract moving. And I wasn't getting enough of life, right? Like real life. So again, and, and bring me in if I'm not, if I'm veering off the question, uh, in essence, we're the same beings that we were a thousand and two thousand years ago and that we are now. And these tools that the shaman has given, these tools that we teach in the Jaguar Path School are tools that have an an immediate impact on our psychology that can shift things much faster than we can even imagine it. I call it, um, I call it accelerated healing. They're tools that have been taken away from our toolbox for exactly what we said earlier. There was there was a big um, persecution during the dark ages. So anything shamanic and and healing uh, was was removed. There was it become illegal. Uh, and, and you see this in a wide variety of things. You even see it with, with people and food. It's like we have such bad food in the supermarkets that are the number one cause for, for actual physical problems, cancers, etc. cetera. Um, and then when it comes to natural remedies, everyone says, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Uh, the idea of the shamanic work is, you know, I don't know, I always thought, let me backtrack and say what I thought before I met them. I thought I was going to meet these wild magicians, these wild, powerful people that could do magic in the unseen world. And in some ways, they are. But the more important thing that I came and confronted with and saw and lived, experienced, uh, was is that they helped me, they guided me to begin to unravel uh, the mess that my mind was in, the mess that my life was in, the mess that uh, of my my um, uh, my priorities were, and 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 I had a good life. I had a good career. I was like, if you asked anyone else, they'd be like, "Ray's doing great, right?" Is shooting uh, covers for Vogue and uh, Mercedes Benz and BMW as clients, but that was Ray the photographer, not Ray the heart. And when I started working with these people, I started untangling and understanding better who I am and you know what I'm here for. Um, yeah, there you go. I don't know if this answers your question or part of it or yeah. You know. there, there's a lot there that I that I can appreciate. You know, just starting from the beginning of your explanation there that the word shaman comes from an ancient language from the person the, the knower, right? The person that had the the knowledge of how to what to do in certain scenarios you know especially 10,000 years ago you couldn't rush to an emergency room and have a physician work on you you just had to have knowledge that was passed down through generation to help heal yourself and to take care of yourself and understand hey that's a bad place to go to whatever it may be and so and then i i, I can see the whole progression of you know i mean even as a as a Christian, you know, I, I understand the the way in which the the church suppressed any teaching that that was against Christian teachings, and so I can see that there was a period of there where a lot of this this ancient art is is lost, right? And yeah. you know, you're you're burnt at the stake if you teach anything different. And then we're we're still the same people that once used these these ancient healing techniques that 
that can still be working today. And I can also appreciate the fact that you still have a respect for Western medicine and that there is a place and time for those types of interventions and such. But if we can, I'd like to go into like energy. You know, I, I, I don't know much about it. I've read into energy and, and I know that shamanism is, is all about, you know, I guess harnessing energy and, and helping energy and moving energy to help heal. Can you explain some of that and how that works in, in some of your practices? Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to be geeky, although I, uh, but I'll try also, it's just like, this is what we unfold and teach in these nine months. What is energy and how it moves? You go to the yoga and everyone talks about prana, life force. They call that energy, the life force, they call prana. You go to Chinese medicine and, and martial arts, they call that qi. So everywhere you go, there's a name for the specific, it's life force within. Uh, I want to, I don't know if simplify is the word, but, but at the end of the day, what the energy is that we're talking about is the energy, what's the energy that drives me and allows me right now to speak, to move my hands, to, 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 to talk to you guys, to see you guys. And the energy you are, the, the person that you're there, what's the energy inside you listening, make, and knowing all the things around it. Everything's recorded, everything's happening. There's an energy that is actually animating us. So we, when we say we're alive, it means we, there's a spirit within us that makes us alive, right? Because if the spirit leaves, there's only a body. That energy, when we talk about it, to you know, I was really super mystified. I was going down to to uh, Peru and deeper and deeper into the jungles and looking and finding and is asking my teachers, show me how to see energy. And they would almost like look at me baffled. It's like, but what do you see? You're already seeing energy. And that took me a second. We all all see energy. Everything that we see is energy, is light bouncing around and light with information. We all see energy. We're all shamans. The thing is, what part of ourselves do we want to unlock and how honest can we be with ourselves? How can we stop projecting? It's like a lot of times we go meet people and say, oh, I didn't like that person. 90% of the times that we meet other people, we say, well, I didn't like them at all or I liked them very much. Uh, it usually symbolizes that there's some projection happening. If we can learn psychologically to come back into our center and be who we are, and breathe and listen carefully when someone's speaking to us, their energy can become apparent to us. What, what is happening in their energy field and their psyche can become apparent. But I jumped all the way to the nine months. It becomes apparent when you start working on it. The energy we're talking about, let's really make it clear, is electricity and chemistry. We're electrical chemical beings, right? We have an electrical system, the nervous system. We have electricity running actually through our blood flow, through the post-circulatory system. And we have a, a, a factory of chemistry that creates hormones with seven main glands that essentially produce uh, the emotions that we have. we have. You know, I'm in love, I feel safe, or I feel insecure, I'm, I'm angry. All these things that we say, they're emotions, the emotions or electricity, energy, emotion in our body that are essentially abiding to the chemistry that has been secreted. That good so far? Uh, making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stop me at any point. Okay. So essentially, so I grew up as a kid. I have different experiences. And through these experiences, if I grow up in a really safe environment, 
I'm secreting all these happy hormones, safe hormones. I'm more able to live in my prefrontal cortex and, and my pituitary gland. The prefrontal cortex is the new brain that, that, that hosts our empathy or sympathy, love, understanding, right? We didn't have that before when we were Neanderthals. We were running for our life or uh, we're trying to stay alive. But now with this new brain over here, when we activate the pituitary gland, uh, we're more awake, more present, more compassionate. So if I've had a childhood that has collected a, a series of positive experiences, what I've done from year one to year seven, and of course it continues, all the way to 20, say up to 20 years old, you're essentially recording experiences that may be translated as memories in your mind, but they're mostly translated as a hormonal, electrical, chemical signal that has been imprinted in your body, in your cells. There's no mystery here. The cells of your body have receptors. That's how we, we live. When I eat something, the vitamins or the minerals are going to go to specific receptors to the cells of my body. And the receptors, like the little mouths in the cell, they open. They say, I'm a vitamin B receptor. I'll take that energy in. I'm a uh, steak receptor. Give me that good stuff. I'll put that in. But also it says, I am a receptor of fear because I grew up in an unsafe home. My father was unsafe. He would come in. I've created this receptor for fear. I am now angry because I never expressed that. I've created a receptor for anger. I'm beginning to create a biochemical system which secretes now, there's a pattern of secretion of all these emotions that my body needs to remember that who I am. The person that came from that family, from, from, that, uh, from that history. And all this is imprinted in our whole body. Ray isn't definitely not only in here, not only in my brain. I'm not only in my heart, all the cells of my body have a chemical uh, print, we, we call a, a neurological groove, a neurological identity, if you want, or an endocrine identity. So it's like, I usually am like, you know, if someone could say, um, Ray is usually a happy person, or it's like, I could say about you guys, you're relaxed. There's a predisposition that you come with that is your endocrine identity. That is your, again, where you're, you hormonally mostly live in. And that identity is expressed essentially, to get one more step here, through the motor system. A lot of your body language says if you're held back somewhere. A lot of your body language says if you're happy and safe in other places. It's expressed through the tone of your voice. It's expressed through your body language, etc. And that's what we essentially learn through the, the Jaguar Path training, or learn how to be able to, when you know, people say see energy, and I was fascinated too, and I don't know if some people see other things of other worlds, but our eyes have a specific ability for a specific spectrum of light, and that's what we see. And again, when I pushed my shaman teachers to show me how to see energy, they said, it's right in front of you. Take a deep breath in. If you're working with a client, take a deep breath in. Be in your center. Be in a place of neutrality, in the neutral zone of a, I am listening and here to receive only. And watch and listen. The client speak. The client move. Their micro movements. The tone of the voice. Um, Anthony, you used a really nice word. You said that I, that I used keywords, and we call these passwords. 
Like when I talk to a client, I'm looking for a password. What word did they use when they expressed like their gratitude for the family or the fear or anger? There, there's all these like passwords that come along with connotations, with a, I call it the color of the voice, and with the body language that tell you everything about the person. And especially, of course, when you're in that setting of doing a healing session where they come and say, I need your help. So there's, a, there's an opening there. They're, they're ready to change. So energy, like Einstein would say, is everything. Everything is energy. And, and that's where, we, where, the, where the science, I want to say, of shamanism works. Where the energy, like my emotions, where do they become physical? Because if you try to take an emotion and analyze it, and you know, you talk to him about, you know, I don't know if you would talk about, if I, I'll use an ice and if I want to talk about, I had anger or anger issues, every time I talk about it, my narrator inside me helps me fool the, the smartest psychotherapist. And the narrator inside me always helps me fool myself. I always find reasons why I'm angry and, and, and I sustain it because my, my cells in my body are, are now, identify with anger and they need me to feel angry three times a week so I can produce that, um, the hormones of anger, produce that adrenaline to, to bring it and feed myself. Am I making sense? Absolutely. This is what Carl Jung called uncommon sense. And that's the work again. It's just like, it's one thing to talk about it and it's another thing to say, let's get a rattle to bring your attention. Let's open the background and be working with your subconscious and let's move this out of your nervous system. Let's move this out of the motor system of your body. Then the changes happen. Then you, then the next weeks later, someone says, how's your anger? And you're like, my what? And you have like, it's, it just doesn't exist there anymore. It's, it's a left. And for me, more often than not, there's a technology behind to do it, to have that physical shift. That is psychological. Like I've had clients come to me that said, I've been working with this and I'm really happy with my therapist and I've been working for 10 years with this. And every Tuesday I go, I cry, I release. I'm like, every Tuesday for 10 years? You're working on it? And it's like in session three that we do the shamanic work, it's gone. It's like, I don't believe it. I really don't believe it. I said, cool. How was your session with the therapist? Says, I don't go anymore. I've outgrown my therapist. Now, these are real examples, and of course, not to diss therapy at all. Therapy is huge and very important, and of course, like every field, there's great ones and not so great ones. Um, everything has its place. Agreed. And I agree with that. I've, I've done some research on some of this that you're talking about, and you know, everything is energy and uh, how we are essentially the the universe experiencing itself in with in a human experience um and that honestly you know what we're brought here is to learn how to manipulate energy so how can i let go of a previous relationship that is still holding me back or maybe it's like old habits that hold you back like i know you have to have a breakthrough and you have to be able to be in the right mindset to uh, manipulate that energy and your thoughts is there a good technique that you know you can let us know about that would help us um you know move forward on things uh, absolutely, I can share. I, I can't teach you 
right this very second, but I could hey, we it we want all the nine months right here <laughs> right, right in this now. answer right now, man. <laughs> I'll be I'm trying to figure out the way to do it in nine minutes. It will, <laughs> it will help me tremendously, actually. <laughs> uh, so we have a beautiful, beautiful tool that's called the cord cutting. And actually, actually, Anthony, this is really cool because one of the most used tools that I use in my office in meeting with people is this cord cutting. I'm, I want to see that 99% of the people that I've met, they come with whatever else they're working on. They're also being tormented by a previous, an ex-relationship, ex-husband, ex-wife, or a relationship that was for many years that really just left them either with pain or sadness, anger, uh, many times just baffled, you know, having to get an, being the survivor of a of a relationship with a narcissist, people come out and they're just baffled for for quite a while because of the nature of that. So we do cord cutting, and cord cutting is, and we actually use symbolically, but do truly use what we call cord cutting knives from the the, the shamans of Peru have. Um, and what we do is we cut the energetic cords that connect us with that person. So let me give you that behind the scenes again, the mechanisms of the magic here. Um, when we're with a person, we create an ID, we create a pass passcode that we connect with. Like when we start talking with a person, especially if it's an intimate relationship or if it's a marriage and then there's a physical connection and making love or there's this everyday connection of breathing together or being together, there's an exchange of carbon molecules. We actually exchange physically molecules. And these molecules remain in my body. So if I was with my, say, ex-wife for 10 years, all those 10 years, I was accumulating parts of her. And remember what I said about cells. Cells have a specific ID. They, they're either happy cells or they're angry or they're sad. They have a specific um, personality of what they grew up with and what they like and where they feel more at home with. So it's the same thing with these carbon molecules. They're affecting our psychology directly. It's a physical trigger. When we say trigger, it's really inside our body. So I can think of that person and I can go and they automatically, because I carry cells and carbon molecules from this person, uh, this immediately ignites in me the memories of those emotions that I most had, right? And, and again, when we're talking about diverse, there might be a 10% of happy, what I call happy divorces, which is great when, when they amicably say, okay, it's been great, let's be friends. Uh, but in 90% of the, the cases, people leave and they, they, they harbor anger or uh, animosity. And especially when they share kids, it becomes really complicated. When we cut the cord, what we do is in the metaphysical realm and in the subconscious realm, Going into this, we always open sacred space, which brings you into a state of a deeper place in your subconscious. You're opening parts of yourself in sacred space. And during the ceremony and asking you, are you ready to cut the cords? I bring the knife in front of you and you say, so-and-so, I set you free. When we cut those cords from all sides, under the feet and above, you've set this person free. And notice this, what we're doing is setting them free and setting ourselves free. We're not wishing them bad. We're not wishing. We're not wishing them anything. We're basically disconnecting these invisible energy lines that exist physically from that person to you, but also already exist inside you because you have these molecules of that person. And when you say "I set you free," you're essentially setting these molecules free 
from that relationship. Like, again, it's a big part of reprogramming that happens on the hardware. And I, and I think that's the easiest way I can explain it. It happens on the hardware. It, um, and that's what people say, it's ceremony. And when you're in ceremony, and I said ceremony is the state where the subconscious is wide open and present. So the changes you make in that state are changes that stay. I've seen this tool. I've used it almost in every session that I do. And I've, I've witnessed it in my life. When I first cut cords with my ex-wife, I, I felt like I, I grew taller by two inches. My, the shaman said to me, it's like, okay, now you got 10% back of your energy that you were using and being in these emotions that were not helping you solve your cancer. They were actually creating an acidic environment in you, and they were worsening your case. I got 10% back. I didn't need to expend on that person or that relationship or who said what back in the past. You start cutting cords and clarifying. And I think it's one of the most important things because then you start understanding what your voice is. You don't, you're not confusing it with in relationship to my ex, in relationship to a boss that I had that couldn't stand. You've cut those cords and you are you. Your chemistry is you. Now, you don't have that chemistry from the previous relationship. You know, I, I think that that makes 100% complete sense. You know, I, I think that people hear terms like energy, shamanism, and, and just maybe some of the other key words that we've used today. And they may think the mind can go to different things. But I think yeah. that yeah. the way that you have explained them today it makes complete sense, right? We're all made up of molecules. We're all made up of atoms. And those compositions are being, you know, they're constantly being changed. And so, and, and the way that our cells have IDs, I think that that's even a, you can prove that from science. We've seen that, um, that, you know, each one of your cells have a marker on them. And so being able to go through these practices and using them to I think not only for a psychological intervention, but I think it also, I guess in my mind, this is me just being the non-expert here, but you also have that spiritual, that physical connection that you have to loosen. And and, and I, I think that that makes complete sense to me. Uh, I think that we have to lose the stigmatism, I guess, that a lot of the American culture may have with those words and those terms is because I think the way that you just put it makes absolute sense. So I, I, I thank you for that, Ray. And I also thank you for for joining us today because I, I think that there actually is a lot more that we probably would uh, like to unpack with you. And before we, we let you go, we like to ask this one question of every single expert that we invite onto the show. And that's, if you could just give us one piece of advice for all of our listeners, something that stuck with you or something that you just think would be so completely meaningful for everybody to hear right now, what would that one piece of advice be? Huh, a good one. Please. Obviously, we're going to tell everybody to go to the, to check out the Jaguar path. This is Evolve Jaguar. <laughs> right. right. First, check out jaguarpath.com and learn about yourself. Learn about, there's so just much more. I'll say this as an advice, just, just based on what you said earlier about the, the, the stigma that exists for shamanism, et cetera. There's fear, there's terror, not only stigma, because again, for hundreds of years, they've put people to the pyre. But I'll say this, 
I've learned I've, because I've worked in uh, in uh, spiritual centers and work around the world. I see a lot of spiritual people that say, "I'm never going to go to a hospital," and I don't believe in Western medicine. And they're saying, "Why not? Why not? It can save your life." And then I meet people that are in the cities and they say, you know what, I have this and I'm never going to see a, a shaman. And they say, why not? So if I have one thing to say is like, open your heart and step out of the boxes. Step out of the boxes. Be fully honest and keep on being skeptical on both sides. Don't be skeptical of the unknown and just totally trust the known. Be skeptical and be make, make good judgment. Live in discernment. That. That's helpful. Yeah. For more details at the jaggerpad.com. Hey, we we love that. And again, dudes, I, I think that if you're not intrigued today, uh, I don't know what will get you intrigued because uh, I definitely am intrigued. Definitely go check that out. Again, Ray, thank you again for coming on our show. And dudes, stay in contact with us because we definitely will be having Ray back here here soon to talk a little bit more about the Jaguar path. Thanks again, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. It's been an honor. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. Anthony and I really enjoyed sitting down and discussing alternative healing methods with healer and shaman Ray Chris this week. And dudes, if you'd like to evolve and learn more, check out the website jaguarpath.com. As always, you can find more of our content on our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. Dudes, if you want to request a shout out or comment on today's show, you can do that by clicking the link in our show notes or emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. And remember, our mission is to make our dudes better and smarter each week. So if you get a chance, share the show with some friends. Yeah, make sure to share this show. And until we see you guys next week, take care of yourself. And we'll see you in the bakery for our next batch of our fresh hot topics.